Welcome to the Valarin Perspective. Exploring work, leadership, and value in an uncertain world. I'm Benjamin Carsage. I'm Aaron Smith. And I'm Chris Vaughn. Let's roll. All right, welcome back to the Valarin Perspective, everyone. We have an interesting topic today. We may break this into a couple different episodes because there's a lot to cover here. It's really about joining a team as a leader. So presumably a lot of you are leaders or have taken on leadership roles on teams that you've been in in the past. And we're going to talk about the many different aspects of that. And so I think the first thing we're going to focus on as Ben and I dig into this is how do you even frame what it means to join a team? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's interesting. I think everyone does have a frame. And I think this is something we've all gone through it at certain points. It's like I join a new company and I'm put on a team or I have this new group of people I need to lead that I'm accountable for or I'm switching teams within my existing company. And I feel like it's always kind of an anxiety-inducing experience a yeah, little there's, bit. There's tons of questions. It's, just, it's always like, okay, what am I going to walk into? You've probably heard something about the team you're moving to or had a couple yeah. random conversations with some leaders. And you're like, um, great. Seems like it's probably good. Sometimes it's all good stuff. Sometimes it's all bad. Sometimes it's a mix. And in all of these, it's like, what's actually here? And how will I know? How will I figure that out? Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think I've observed that a lot of folks are not as deliberate as maybe they would like to be when they're doing that. And as we often talk about with explicit versus implicit motivations, cultures, incentives, et cetera, yeah. if you don't know, if you don't have a kind of a declarative intent, like this is the way I'm going to approach this, you will have an approach. It's just going to be maybe yeah. subconscious or it's going to be under the surface, right? It, so It's almost going to be based on your intuition. You yeah. Know, like, like you're, you're going to, some people will have, because there are some people who I think are very intuitive in how they do jobs very similar to what we did. Yeah. And do. Uh, and and it's very good intuition. And so yeah. they, they tend to be really successful. And you couldn't ask them, like, what is it you're doing? They'd almost be like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm leading. I'm joining a team. I'm figuring it out. Uh, I think they're, they're, that can have its downsides, too, because it means your blind spots are also invisible. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So let's so let's go ahead and get into that. Like the frame. Like how do you approach it? What outcomes are you trying to get? So we're leaders, right? So presumably it's like we've got some people reporting to us. We are responsible for higher level outcomes or accountable for higher level outcomes, etc. You know, it's one of the first things that came up into my head when we started talking about this was the first 90 days the book, mm-hmm. the first 90 days. Mm-hmm. And, and what I like about that is it, it doesn't really talk about, I don't think if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong on this because it's been like seven, eight years since I read this, but it, it doesn't talk a lot about like the why, like why you should approach these things mm. and what it's good to optimize for and what you don't want to optimize for. It really just gives you a framework of like, do these things, right. focus on these 30 things. 30 days this, 30 days this, yeah, 30 days ex- this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a good framework. It is. Um, yeah. And like one of the things I love is like the thir- first 30 days you should commit to nothing. You should mm-hmm. de- be declarative with all of your fellow leaders, all of your teammates, whoever, that you're just going to be learning and just going to be observing and sort of sponging information. And to, to sort of make that space for yourself right when you join. And I think, I think that goes double when you're joining a new company, but I've always appreciated that. Yeah. Because we talked a lot about optimization bias and how you can sort of like fall into that trap of like, I just got to do stuff. I got to right. do stuff to prove that I'm valuable. Yes. And or, that's well, actually what that is a frame, by the way, that I see all the time with leaders joining new teams. It's like I have to do as much stuff as I can. How do I just shovel as quickly as possible on day one so that everyone goes, wow, look at him shoveling. So yeah. glad he's on our team. Well, and there's a uh, an, a related thing that happens as people go in and they say, the first thing I need to do is make this team look like something I'm familiar with. Yeah. I need to go in and I'm going to like, however the team is oriented, I'm going to reorient it uh, so that it, it fits my model of how I operate because I'm the leader now. And we're going to work the way I want to work. Yeah. Um, and it's that same thing of it, it means that you're very proactive from the very beginning. Um, and I do go in and there are a few things I'd look for that I would move within a couple of weeks on, perhaps. Uh, but by and large, 
I reject that frame because I think the it assumes that whatever I brought with me from my past is necessarily better than what this team has figured out in terms of operation in their context in this company with what they're trying to do. And I just know better without actually having spent time. And that yeah. there there's an there's a an implicit arrogance there that I I, I want to reject. And it's not yeah. necessarily that people view it as arrogance. I think they view it as like I need this to to be an effective group. Um, and I'm accountable. And I'm accountable. Like so, yes. my neck's on the line for this. So it has to work the way, like I know it works. I've done this before. That, the, yeah. And, and there's a, I have so many thoughts on that. You know, I've seen that so many times. I've seen that work well and I've seen that not work well. And I think that it's not just about the effectiveness of that leader or how good their philosophy is or their approach. I think it's also about like the team. I think that's one thing that exactly. sometimes those leaders forget is like, where is the team at? And what are our expectations of the team? Are there our expectations of the team that they just do whatever we say? Or is there some expectation of autonomy and self-sufficiency and right. self-management? Because if, if there is, then that authoritarian approach where you sort of mold everything in your image can actually have, like you could set everything up perfectly as you intend it. But if the people are not on board and the situation or the, the environment it requires autonomy from them, it, it'll blow up in your face. So anyway, yeah. um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Ben, because like I think that this is you and I were talking about like, well, how do we approach this? That was like the first thing that came up. And there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But I think what we often don't talk about is like, what are you trying to do? Like, what are the outcomes? Um, how, what's yeah. your what's your mental framework when you go into a team? So this one, I. I'll describe it as like, what's the North Star uh, is kind of how I put it. And for me, it is something like I want to create purpose and meaning. These people work here. They spend a lot of their time here. Is there purpose and meaning for them? And do they can they connect to that in any way? And that's I think it's very different from happiness or enjoying being on the team or having a good time or getting along with your teammates. It's none of those things. It is, it is meaning and, and, and purpose. It's like, I know why I do what I do. And so is that present? Is that present with the team that I'm joining? Uh, do I sense this connection to meaning and purpose? The other one is healthy culture. What culture is desired can shift company to company. Um, different companies will, will create their own unique culture based on the leadership and everybody and the problems that they're in and whatever else. You know, not every company should have the, like a throw out a million ideas and see what sticks I approach. Some should actually have much more regimented controlled approaches. But whatever the culture is that we're trying to create inside of the organization, uh, is this a healthy example of that? Mm. And if so, how? If not, what are the gaps? What, what are the things that we do have that we can build upon? What are the failures, right? Like, you know, if you have a place and they highly value feedback, um, they really want there to be a healthy feedback culture. So there's a lot of positive feedback going around, along. There's some critical feedback going around. Like, and that's a regular occurrence that people are just expected to engage in. And I show up to a team and I discover that they don't seem to engage in that. And now I want to know, well, do they engage in it when they're talking to other parts of the company and only not engage with it internal? Do they engage with it internal, but don't do it when they're talking to other parts of the company? And all those things might say, I might lean towards saying the culture here uh, needs to be, needs to be better. And, and then I try to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I create that? And mm -hmm. the primary thing is through modeling. Um, and that's why it's important to know what the healthy culture is to begin with within the company's context because you are now as the leader the key modeler of that in in the organization that you've moved into yeah i want to talk a little bit about um my own view on this because i you and i have had a lot of conversations about this and how we view things differently i think it's interesting um it's very subtle but it's, mm -hmm. it, but it, I think it does surface some interesting conversations. So I've always been results oriented is the way that I characterize it. And what's funny is I've always viewed you as res very results oriented as well. But I think, again, what we're talking about is that North Star, the base of the pyramid. You're like, I think you have begun a journey of 
I view a cultural mastery. I view a uh, a sense of strong purpose and fulfillment by the teams and the individuals on the teams as, as a victory in and of itself, like as value in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I've always viewed, um, call me a pragmatist, whatever you want to call me. I don't know what what the what you would call me, but it's we're here to do a thing. There's something that pays our paychecks, and hopefully, whatever that thing is is not something we would describe as shoveling shit, right? Like hopefully that thing is something that inspires us, something that makes us wake up and feel like we have purpose. Like, wow, look at what we're doing for the world. You know, like I made video games for many years and there were people that would mumble under their breath that like we were just providing a platform for people to piss away their time. Mm -hmm. And... And, and, and I never felt that way. I felt I saw the players and how happy they were with the things that we would do when we would do it right. And that had meaning to me. That gave me fulfillment. Um, I think it helped that I myself was a gamer. But sure. I think it, it also um, I think even if I wasn't, I would have felt proud of the work I was doing. And so to me, it was always about delighting them. And that was always the center focus. And. So when I think my North Star very much is like, hey, there's something, there's a higher level vision we're supposed to be delivering against. I'm not saying that vision is clear. I'm not saying it shouldn't pivot. I'm not saying we have a perfect grip on what the customer's needs are, but there's something there. There's some sweet spot there where we're adding value into the ether, into the universe, if you will. And that and the and the exchange for that transaction. Uh, to be overtly capitalist about it is money. We get paid. Yeah. And so I think this idea, I, I, there are a lot of folks that I think are, are in, our, in our field that are moving more towards your direction. And I value it a lot. And I think what's funny is practically speaking, I think I approach problems mostly the same way you do mm-hmm. and vice versa. But what's interesting is, is like, I feel like this idea of like culture and purpose and in, in some as as a victory unto themselves is is like a luxury we have in the 21st century. I, that um, I completely you know. agree with. Actually, <laughs> there's like an evolution that's occurred, um, and I you know I'm going to get the, the dates all wrong, but let's say originally it was like I don't know we want to create a product, and then it was like okay, well now actually we want to make a bunch of money, right? Eliyahu uh, Goldratz, the the goal says yeah. that the point is money. Yeah, and and there's a lot of good lessons in that book. Um, yeah. But I, when he got to the point where he was like, the, the goal is money, I was like, oh, no, no, it's not. Um, and and so then, like, what, what was the next, like, sort of iteration on that? It's like, well, if the, the goal is money actually becomes self-serving and short-term over mm-hmm. time. Um, so maybe the goal is actually serving the customer, yeah. right? You take care of the customer. Yeah. And then I feel like now we're moving into another potential evolution and seeing if it works. And and I think actually when you describe your state, you're you're like you're at the take care of the customer. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that is what we do. It's not doesn't mean listen to everything they say. It means take care of them. Un- try to understand what their base needs are and try to meet those needs through the products you develop uh, in whatever space you operate in and do that really well. Um, and for for me it's the the Richard Bronson quote I think, which is um, something like take care of your people and then your people will take care of the customer. And, and so it's the same end goal in some sense, like you're still trying to get to the place where you're taking care of the customer, but the way you get there is through taking care of your people. And I think that's why to some degree, this conversation is semantic in nature. Yeah. Uh, Because like I, I, the, the results are still the same. And the funny thing is, is like, again, I now know like the reality is, is the, the companies that are best at serving their customers, the companies that are most successful are the ones that have very strong cultures. You know, like I look at Toyota as an example and Toyota to me is such a fascinating case for companies because they really had so much working against them from mm-hmm. day one. And they they really, I think, went out on a limb a lot when it came to the role of the manager and the role of the factory worker on the floor and like how those people were gonna interact in this sort of like, dare I say, family environment where it's like everybody is partial holder of the torch and you have value and you need to tell us when something's wrong and you need to raise visibility and like you own a piece of this like this is this is not about some you know the man behind the curtain this is about 
us. We're all trying to make awesome cars and we all have to work together to do that. Um, very different culture, you know, than what was expressed in European and American auto manufacturing. And I, I can't help but associate that with a lot of their screaming success. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and, and it's like now this is a giant they, they I think they sell more cars than any individual company in the world. Toyota does, if I'm, I'm not sure. mistaken. Um, uh, Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, there, I think that, you know, what we're really talking about here is like, what are you trying to get? Like what, like as a, and it's not just what are you trying to get out of, I'm joining a team. What am I trying to get out of that process? I think it's also like, what is your stance as a leader towards yeah. the team and like what what are you trying to help them do what do you how do you view your role as a leader and i think what we're talking about is like we view our role as change agents to some degree as transformative to a higher goal and for me that's like very clearly more value like this team delivers more value and again i want to be very clear that's not does more work in fact those things are often inversely related correct yeah. um it yeah. is like our customers are more delighted. Internal customers, external customers, they love our products. They love the things we do for them. They ideally give us money, and you know, and that provides us a, an ever greater platform to do more. Yeah, the 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 phrase I think I uh, I use is as a leader, my job is to create the most effective team possible. Mm -hmm. And and I use the word effective very specifically. And in this context, effective means uh, a team's ability to meet or exceed the goals it sets for itself um, w in the context of the organization and in the context of the, the customer um, and our audience. And there can be some traps in there, but that's broadly like your my job is to basically expand the ability of the team to deliver value. Yeah. Um, and it's different from efficient. Uh, you can be efficient along many different axes. You can be efficient from a time, from a resource um, perspective. You can be efficient in how much code you write. You can be efficient in how many tests you have. You can be. A, there's so many ways that we can measure efficiency, and some of them are useful and some of them are not. Efficiency should always be in service of being effective. And effective is that ability to, to meet or exceed the goals we set. Yeah. And, and ideally, and if it, this were not the case, I would actually go in and probably try to adjust the goals. Those goals are oriented towards value delivered to an audience. That's what I'm trying to do. So if I show up to a new team as a leader, one of the questions I'm asking is, is this an effective team um, today? Are they delivering value? Are they meeting and exceeding the goals that they set for themselves? And it's it's really interesting because there's a, there's a, a couple other pieces to this which is, or I should say, which are like understanding that value. Like I think, I, I don't know if most leaders do this when they enter teams. I would dare say from my experience that I've seen most leaders come in and try to understand the work. Like, let me understand mm -hmm. the nature. Let me understand the nature of the work. What's the process? What's the order we build the thing in? Who does what? What's your role? Are you a senior leader level four on the team or are you senior leader level one? Like I actually tend to under focus on those things and ask myself, what is the point of this team? Like yes. what, what is the like what does this team produce that's valuable to somebody outside of this team? And that, I think th so there, there's this affects my approach, I think. And I think it affects your approach, too. But it, I think the main thing it does is like make me feel accountable when I join a new group to knowing what that is. And actually a lot of times that's way more obtuse. I realize immediately that that's way more obtuse than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why, again, is because you come in and people are like, well, Aaron, so this, you're taking over this part of the assembly line. Here's how we run the process. You're in charge of these meetings now. This is what you do. Here's the spreadsheet. Like, yeah. let me show you where the JIRA, you know, project is, or let me show you where the confluence documents are. Here's our Google Drive. And it's like all this shit that I'm like, I often find myself frustrated almost during that process. Like, I think a lot of people love that. Yeah. Like, 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 oh, I know where all the tools are. I'm learning all the tools. And like, I find myself like, 
I, I, yeah, I know, I know I need to know this stuff. I know I need to know, like, where the drive folders are and how they're organized. But, like, this isn't what matters. What I really want to know is, like, what are we here for? Like, what are we trying to do? Yeah. Because that's that's the main thing I feel accountable for. So there is that, like, how do I get an understanding of what the value is? Because if I can't hold that, if I can't, like, be very confident that I understand that, I certainly can't be very confident that the team knows that or that I can serve the team in going in that direction, right? And so that, that what's funny is that, that that's the last part, which is like, now that I understand it, does the team understand it? Is it the other, is the other question? Yeah. Because oftentimes they don't. And, uh, and that's, so those are the other things for me that kind of frame my, like we're gonna go into approach in a bit here, but like, like what we actually do and how we actually work through this. But like, to me, that's another big piece of my frame is like, do I understand the value? And does the team understand the value? That meaning purpose, like on the way, the way I described it, like that meaning and purpose, I'm, I'm thinking of the, when I joined the uh, foundation team and they had a very difficult to understand meaning and purpose because they were kind of a, in a technical space, they were sort of a glue team in some sense that was like tying a bunch of disparate parts, uh, of development work all together for it to be successful. But it was really want, it was like, what are we specifically responsible for? For, for those, stuff? for those of uh, folks that are going to be unfamiliar, we just kind of name dropped there. Uh, ben worked on a team for a while, which was essentially the master gateway that all riot games would use the technical gateway that they would use to get access to all of our services. So like your lo your login, you know, like your, the, the front end for the actual, like, like portfolio client we had that would manage all your games, like all this stuff, like all the game teams would access it through this one gate. And that the foundation team was that gate. Yeah. And it took me longer than I think any other team I've ever joined or seen to try to really wrap my head around what that was. Like, what is the meaning and purpose? Because people would describe it in different ways. And it's like, what's well, the foundation? Well, it's the glue. Well, it's these, and, and like what you just said is actually like, that's very crisp. Um, and, and that's yeah. a hard one. Those, it, those teams are always really hard. Yeah. Well, and, and that actually, I think this is by the way, one of the reasons why I think in enterprise, actually it's even more easy to fall into an optimization bias, uh, a work focus bias is because, um, you know, I've had friends who have worked at Oracle and worked at Google and, and they're like, we, we can't think in terms like that. Like this isn't a creative space. You know, we're not like making a character or we're not like building a game that's supposed to be fun or anything like this. Like we make a bunch of services and those services talk to other services. And most customers have no idea the sort of like massive behemoth system that exists under the surface. Like, so that this idea that we can understand value in that way is nonsense, right? So, and I, I don't agree, but I think I certainly yeah. would, I certainly would agree that it's way the hell harder to make those distinctions and understand that in that context. I understand why people struggle with it. It's really yeah. difficult. Well, it, it takes a really it, brilliant product owner to kind of like translate that into like something that everyone can understand the value of, you know? Yeah, and that, that piece was, I remember when I joined that team, one of the things that I saw was that everybody was off focusing on their own work mm -hmm. at the time. There wasn't this shared focus. There wasn't a shared meaning, a shared purpose inside of that team. Everybody, like, they, they had a bunch of different backlogs, which is always a warning sign for me when I join a team. Um, they And they were all, like, off doing their own little projects and optimizing this code and this and that and the other and the backlog wasn't really value oriented because like, well, we're in deep tech. How can we value orient the backlog? And like, there's all these things that were going on. And I just remember going like, we don't, I, I think as the engineers on the team knew technically what they were doing um, and what the team was intended to do far better than I did. But I think they had, they didn't understand that value. They didn't understand that meaning and that purpose. Or if they did, it was so abstracted from it, their day to day as to be like meaningless. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the things for me was like, I need to understand this because I need to be able to communicate it into this team and outside of this team. Um, I need to be able to work with the product owner uh, and, you know, have him articulated and work through the backlog and all those things. So yeah, that, it, yeah, when you were talking, it just made me think about that because that was such an example of there being a, a struggle to find the value, to find the meaning mm -hmm. and the purpose. 
Um, so, so that, that again, like there's sort of the North star, right? For you, it's, it's value focus. Like we are here, we are, we are serving the customer. Are we doing that well? And for me, it's very related to that. Like, do we have a healthy culture within whatever context we're in? And do we have a meaning and purpose, um, that, that will get us motivated to do the right thing to create the value? Yeah. Um, and and I want to go like now to the next, which is, and this is one where I think you and I are very aligned. When approach. we show up, yeah, what is yeah, the approach? Yeah, what's the approach? And so, yeah, like, and, and to kind of help everyone follow along here, I would describe what we just talked about as like our orientation, mm-hmm. you know, like how we orient ourselves as leaders. And hopefully what we just talked about, although a little bit abstract, helps you understand like why we do the stuff we do. Because Ben and I both have pretty deliberate approaches when we join teams. And um, again, we also understand that that's going to be different, I think, than a lot of the way other folks uh, join teams. But I think that's part of the point is we've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and trying to understand what good looks like. And so hopefully this provides some insight. So yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what's the approach? Yeah. D- dive in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it. it's, I mean, one, one thing I'll mention, I learned from you actually, like I, I, it was eye opening for me because I, I think I was not super deliberate about the way I joined teams. I think it originally, uh, my approach was, I think more about like, well, how do I gain credibility? How do I get people to trust me? How do I show that I'm valuable? I think that there was a lot of that, especially early on in my career. And actually I perceive that this is that orientation I think is what drives a lot of most people's behaviors when they join a team. And there was a point where I saw, I was overwhelmed with everything I was seeing and I didn't actually have a structured approach. And I sat down with Ben and Ben was like, Hey, I used this sort of observational technique on one of my big teams that I joined and I basically stole it. And I did that. I I created that 30 day observation window for myself, which by the way, a couple people were unhappy with. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's worth it's it's worth noting that like there was this feeling where it's like we have been without a senior development manager this whole time. We're struggling. We don't have the right process. We don't have this. We don't have that. We've we're, we've been dying to get somebody, and you told me there was nobody. And finally, you you say you're giving me this super high powered dude, and the first thing he asks me is for thirty days of not delivering anything just to observe the team. Mm-hmm. There was there was friction there. And it's interesting that like, I almost did feel like I was spending political capital right off the bat uh, at a time where I didn't feel like I had any. But but it, it was a it was a short term investment that led to, I think, a midterm spike mm-hmm. in political capital. And I'm actually probably going to use the phrase political capital a couple of times. I don't mean to sound cynical, but I actually think it's really important and uh, something most folks don't think about. I have some friends in tech that are some of the best I've ever seen at generating massive amounts of political capital to the point where they become almost like untouchable. And I think this is something that most people don't feel comfortable talking about. It feels like a dirty subject, but it's real. Um, And again, hopefully that political capital is from... So is is based on real value and based on like r- real noble intention and things like this. I've seen it where it's not. Yeah, it's it's that it's, thing of like the politics are not, is not an inherently bad part of an organization. In fact, it's an always present part of an organization and it is a, it is an influence game. Influence is not yeah. evil. We would say manipulation yes. could be considered evil, Yes, but someone having the ability to influence because they're viewed as credible inside of an organization is, is really useful. So anyway, exactly. yeah. where does so, influence come from? Basically. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things does influence come from? So the approach was 30 days, no deliverables. I literally spoke to every single person on the team and there was about 40 people. I had like a couple hour session with each one. I just filled up my calendar with that. I went to meetings. I didn't say anything. I took notes. I wrote things like, what am I seeing? What's the dynamic? And again, back to the orientation, the orientation was like, I know what we're trying to deliver. I know that there's value here and I understand what that value is. Uh, what, it, how is the system working today? What are the concerns of the folks involved and how effectively back to Ben's word effective, oriented is this group towards those outcomes. 
And so that was a very powerful thing for me. And I actually, what I did was I created categories. Like I, I got so much mm-hmm. feedback from so many people. I was like, okay, well, here's the product category. Here's the team culture category. Here's the feed uh, or here's the um, stakeholder management category. Like there was like six or seven categories. And I just put all the major themes that I had identified into each category with no intent to organize them or anything like that, just to get to a place where it was like, okay, I, I think I'm starting to get a lay of the land here. Yeah. And I, when I've done that, I sometimes I'll, I'll break it into categories and I'll sometimes break it into layers like, okay, what's happening at the team layer? All right, what's happening at the leadership of the team's layer? What's happening at the team of teams layer or that leadership group? And and then also, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep track of it over time. And I usually do like a two-week look. I do a one-month look. And it's just a time, like give yourself an hour to just sit down and say, what have I observed? Um, that for me, like the key word here is curiosity. Like that is, that is, fundamental to the approach. You're doing a lot of listening. You don't take everything you hear at face value because you're going to hear a lot of contradictory things, especially in a large organization that you join. But you, you know, you, you do give everybody the benefit of the doubt that they're telling you as far as they can tell you the truth. And then you're just processing all of that plus showing up to the meetings. And for me, I do do some amount of, um, uh, like question asking. It's often not during the meeting, though sometimes during it, right during the meeting, I'll still be like, hey, I just have a question, blah. And it's often just like, I don't understand a thing that's happening and I want to because I'm new. Like, what's, hey, what, why do we do that? Or like, what's going on with this? Oh, how does that work? Or something like that. And, and it, again, it just informs uh, where I'm at and I start processing all of that. And then also uh, often after a meeting, I'll find the leader of that meeting and I'll just be like, hey, I just observed that. Here are some questions I had. And the, one of the key things around the remaining curious, I think, is that initially you're, you can't stop yourself from judging, but as best you can, you turn that off. And certainly at an individual level, you turn that off. Yeah. Um, like maybe I'm judging the system to some extent as I, as I create what I, as I write down what I'm observing about it. Um, because the thing that makes the observations valuable, the curiosity valuable, is not just that you observed a fact and then wrote it down. Those do have some utility. It's really, though, that you you looked at them through the lens of the North Star, through the orientation that you have, and said, okay, how does this relate to meaning and purpose? Yeah. Or how does this relate to value focus? Yeah. And and then you're capturing those notes and you're, and you're like, I mean, there's just tons of you stuff. You just made me realize something which is interesting, which is I, I think I've seen this with you on the teams that you've worked with where you've come in as a leader. And I've definitely experienced this myself. More often than not, I think that that approach is at least mildly threatening to the people who are already on the team. Absolutely. Even if even if you're super curious. Like I think that cur- curiosity by nature I think is a very kind of open like non-judgmental posture. But it's interesting. I'm like, wow, I I tried really hard to do that, but like there was there was still a amount of anxiety on the other end from the people who was like I'm being watched. I'm being judged. Yes. And actually, I think I very much view that there was a couple times where that got out of control. Mm-hmm. And the other leaders on the team or the other folks on the team perceived me as being like a hostile outside force almost. Yeah. Like even when that didn't make sense, I'm like, of course I'm on the team. They're like, well, you don't, you're not like when you're in the trenches shoveling and not asking any questions, it's, it, there's no, there's no confusion about which side you're on. If you're walking around, and again, I'm being cynical here. If you're walking around with your little notepad and just like shaking your head, or we see you shaking your head and you're writing notes down and you're not participating in anything, there's this feeling of like, you don't have any skin in the game. And so like, are you really with us or are you here to judge us and assess us? And, and I think there's a natural revulsion that happens from the, uh, the folks on the other side of that. And I think it's one thing I didn't understand like I always looked at it like, well, guys, I'm just trying to know how things work so that I can be more effective mm-hmm. so that when I start making decisions and start doing stuff, I know it's the right stuff, but they didn't take it that way. Right. They took it as like, you're keeping yourself at arm's length from us and therefore we don't trust you. Right. You're the guy with a clipboard and yeah. you might've just written down that I'm a three out of 10 on some aspect of how I operate. Yes. 
And, yeah, and the reason uh, I and that's, the reason I bring that yeah, up, totally. by the way, is is specifically because I think one of the things I've improved and integrated in my approach now is to declare my intentions with mm-hmm. that, exactly. like openly. I think exactly. that was something I didn't do. To me, it just seemed obvious. Well, of course, you know, if I do something on day one, it's probably not going to be the right thing because I don't know anything. So I'm going to, you know, like it was obvious. I didn't necessarily sit down with my fellow leaders and be like, hey, this is my orientation. This is what I view myself as accountable for. This is what I want to do for you. This is what this is the kind of leader I want to be. And here's how I'm going to operate. Like I didn't do that. And I think if I would have done that, people would have been like, they could disagree with my approach. Right. Or they could be like, well, I don't believe that that's actually your approach. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. But like they, they like at least they wouldn't have to guess or wonder at like what I was at, you know, like or yeah. why I was doing the things that well, I was you, doing. You help yourself become less of an uncertain element. You, like yeah. you make yourself known. And actually, I think that's one of those key. One of the key things you do in the conversations that you have with everybody. One, you're probably having more conversations with the key leaders in the space. Period. If you're when you when you take this approach, you want to be regularly talking to those people so that they're aware of what you're observing. Because if you spend 30 days observing and they feel like you're the guy shaking your head with a clipboard, and then suddenly after 30 days you come out and you're just like, bah! and like here's you know 70 observations and four of them uh, indict you with horrid incompetence or something like that. Like it's it lands, it feels so much more hostile. Because it was like, oh my gosh, this person's out there causing me anxiety and tension and watching everything and I don't know what's going on. Whereas if like a couple times a week, you're just going to lunch with them, syncing with them in a meeting, this is what I'm seeing. Hey, I've noticed this. What do you think? You know, you're engaging them and you it you make it very clear that my job here isn't to accuse you of anything. It's to understand the system. And I and also that like I know the system's broken. That's okay. They're all broken. I've never seen a perfect human system and I never will. I, I truly believe that. So we're somewhere on the journey between objectively awful and really awesome human system of collaboration. And I'm just trying to figure out where. Uh, and so that regular interaction with them. And then when you're doing those one-on-ones with everybody on the team, it's that same thing of like, give them the chance to ask you some questions too. Yeah, I've got some questions I want to ask you. What do you got for me? What are you worried about? Um, you know, what didn't I ask that you think is important? Yeah. Uh, who, like, how do you feel about me joining? Yeah. Um, like what, what do you want to know about? And like that, those sorts of things actually start building some amount of like, oh, okay, this guy's not just the meme of a guy with a clipboard evaluating me, you know, the bobs from, uh, office space, right? Like it's, it's, he's actually a person he's here. He cares. And he has reasons and intention behind what he's doing. I might still, I might disagree with some of his conclusions. I might disagree with some of his approach, but at least now he's something more known and something more known can be a little bit more trusted. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's, that's an important part of the observational approach. And for me, yeah, it's like two weeks, 30 days. And then you kind of figure out how long do I want to keep doing this? Um, And at what interval do you, this is actually an interesting question. At what interval do you take those results back to the group, because I don't think it's necessarily based on time, although you could do it based on time. But like, what are sort of, what would be a trigger for you to say, okay, I've observed a lot of stuff. Now I want to talk with the leaders in the space. Yeah. Um, about I, it. I mean, I'm, my instinct is as much as possible, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is, is like the more, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the more open and fluid that communication is, it is a demonstration of trust. You know what I mean? Like if you can, bring that stuff to your fellow leaders and be like, Hey, here's the stuff I saw this week. What do you guys think? What, how do you perceive this? And they're like, Oh yeah, we haven't thought about it that way. Or if they feel really threatened or whatever, I mean, what you're dealing with, the response there is going to be based on the level of trust and comfort and openness that exists. Right. So like all you're doing by, like, I think I've made the mistake of waiting too long Mm. on this stuff in the past. And, uh, I didn't, I don't think it was deliberate. Mm-hmm. I just think I, I, in retrospect, I think I could have done it more. And I think, it, again, back to the skin in the game thing, I think that those leaders would have felt like I was more invested in them mm. as a leader, as a leadership team, if I would have brought it to them more early and often. You know, there's a lot of reasons where it's like you get a couple pieces of information, you need to see it from different angles before you can draw any conclusions. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, and that takes that takes time, right? It can't be continuous. You know, it can't be like yeah. every every day we're gonna have a fifteen minute meeting where I update you on what's. It's no, there's gonna be like I need time to figure some stuff out and piece it together. The question that you're asking actually leads me into something else that I feel like is super important, and this is something I've done well at times and done poorly at at times, and this is the idea of like how is trust generated? Because trust is really the baseline. Like if if you have trust. You can actually talk about some really heavy shit and have it all be okay. And if you have no trust, even though like the lightest grazing of the skin can feel like you're being shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this is, I don't want this to seem too abstract because it's so real and it's practical. Like I've, I've gone in, like I was thinking about this team where I went in and I talked to everybody, right? I had that two hour one-on-one with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't just like me again, taking notes and just being like, okay, well you have these problems. Okay. This is your job. Okay. That's what you do. Okay. I'm just trying to understand, just explain to what would you say it is you do here? It wasn't like that. It was like, there were some situations where engineers were telling me or, uh, quality assurance people were telling me things that I felt like sounded really hard for them or sounded really bad for them, but they were playing it off like it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm, mm -hmm. And I remember digging in and being like, well, wait a second, that sounds really hard. What's that like for you? Well, Aaron, you know, this uh, client is actually, um, all of the the, uh, language strings are hard coded in English. So we actually don't have the ability to test this in any other language. So we can't verify if this works in Chinese and over half of our players are Chinese or whatever, you know, and it's like, that was a huge stressor for them. And when I started to kind of pull on that thread, they became more comfortable because I was showing that I was interested in their experience, Mm -hmm. not just in what they did or what their title was or what their process was or their job description. I was like, Hey, it matters to me. And this goes back to the stuff you're talking about. It matters to me that you're fulfilled at work. It matters to me that this team works for you. It matters to me that you feel like your leaders care about you and that you feel like I care about you. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the deluge started coming out. Like, okay, well, yeah. let me tell you how it really is here, Aaron. Right. And it was stuff that they did not feel comfortable talking about with other folks before that point. And I think that that posture transform the nature of the conversation, it built trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was like a really good example of me doing that. And I think I've had other examples where I've come in and I'm like, well, this is an organization of 150 people. I don't have time to talk to everybody and interact with everybody. I have a layer of managers underneath me that report to me. They're the ones who should be talking to the people. And then what ends up happening is I become this figure that's out there in the ether somewhere, this guy who's some kind of senior leader no one really knows what he does. He doesn't really seem connected. He doesn't really talk to us every day. He's not really around much. And that actually had the opposite effect, even though I, in many cases I was doing a lot more heavy lifting to help them. They didn't know me. They didn't trust me. And so I think that this is like a really big part too of this is like investing in the people early on by like, again, it's the kind of listening you do when you're actually interested. You're actually curious about the person and what their experience is. And you're not just collecting data. So that's what I would say too. Don't just collect data. Yes. Like understand the people, understand their needs. There's take them seriously. There's a, uh, there's like a, a, a three things that came to mind maybe four. One was in those conversations, you're, you know, to build trust, you demonstrate understanding or a willingness to try to understand the other person and empathize with them. Yeah. You demonstrate a care yeah. for the pain. It's not just that I understand where you're at. I also care about you. I want I want to make this better for you. Um, I, I, and, and so when you see something that's like, you know, one that I come back to a lot is when I first joined uh, one fairly large team, one entire discipline always worked the weekends and was just always crammed and, and just they, they had no extra time in their schedule. They were always working. I made it one of my goals almost internally to get to the point where they didn't have to at least work the weekends, where they could go home and see their families. It was, and it was that like I cared about you as a person, not just what you were doing. Were you creating work? Were we creating products? It, I care about you. So I try to understand your world. I also try to demonstrate care. And then I also show up authentically 
and I think this is a big one, I have ways that I'm approaching this. I have things that I believe. That doesn't mean every time I see a problem, everybody I talk to, I talk to about that problem. It does mean that I am authentic about what I'm trying to do, where I'm trying to go, how I'm trying to help, the things I see. This doesn't, this isn't licensed for gossip or anything like that, but it is, you know, if someone asks me like, well, what are you seeing? I might, I give them real answers. There's just some things I'm seeing. There's so many times where people don't do that, where they'll be like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure yet or this or that or the other. But for me, it's, it's, you know, well, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing some of this stuff. And oftentimes they'll be like, oh yeah, that's, I definitely agree with that. Or I don't or whatever. Um, but you, you use that. And I think that is that, that core of trust, uh, that, that you're talking about and the ability to build it. So, so this, yeah, th this is for me, like the proactive observation, the curiosity, and then continuing to, in some sense, align what you're discovering with the key leaders in the space, with other people in the space, because you're trying to get an understanding of what's going on so that you can move towards your North Star. And I, I think, yeah, I think you, like I did one of these maybe in Trello, I did some of these in Favreau, it doesn't matter, you do it in Excel, like capture, just capturing, a lot of it's just this capturing of the thoughts. And then also, I would say that everything you're capturing, hold with an open hand. You may have talked with three people and they all said the same thing. It doesn't mean it's right. Um, you know, maybe you're in a 50 person org and you're now leading it or one of the leaders, key leaders of it. Um, those three people, be careful not to be overly biased by the first couple people you talk to. Um, hold everything you're, you hear and everything you start to perceive with an open hand. Validate it. Talk to other people about it. And I will say, if you do those things and if you build trust, it doesn't mean that other people aren't going to be upset at you. But I would say that their being upset is more valuable as a, as a piece of information, as a piece of uh, a data than it would be if they had never been in the loop because there they can just be threatened by anything. But if it's like, and I remember this happened to you when you finally did go and like show what you'd observed. I mean, the response you got one of those times was like pretty aggressively against what you were articulating. Yeah, actually, I, I wouldn't even say it was against what I was articulating. I think it was against the idea of that forum. Because what I had done is I had essentially brought all the leaders that were holding me accountable for making a difference, for transforming things into a room. And I said, this is what I'm seeing. And this leads me. So what we've, we've talked about, this is interesting because you've just sort of asked, you've mentioned a thing that transitions into like the third leg of this. So we're talking about building an understanding of like what this, what's happening what the state of the team is, um, what the state of the machine is, if you will. And then we're talking of the second leg we discussed and went into detail about was like building trust and sort of building relationships and like, and, under, and, and everything from like declaring your intentions and your North Star to people that you talk to, to really listening to the thing you just mentioned about like not over assessing one person's view, but like also um, engaging in the human side of things. Like, hey, I'm actually here because I care about you. Um, I'm not just a cold machine. So there's, yeah, there's the human side, the trust, the building and understanding for yourself. And then I actually think the third leg of this for me was getting everyone else aligned on a single understanding of the state of the world. Mm -hmm. That was like, that's kind of like the last, uh, I think, of the intro approach for me. And what's interesting is, is like, that was my objective in pulling everyone together back to that thing you just referenced was like, okay, here, we're going to talk about stuff. And again, the hostility was not, I, I think it, the hostility was <laughs> communicated in that moment as I don't agree with this, but what it actually was, was Aaron, you betrayed me. Mm -hmm. You, you literally have now presented, you've sort of opened the kimono if you will. And you didn't, you like, you did not consult with me before you opened the kimono with these people that I am losing credibility in front of now in my mind. I don't think he actually was, but I think he felt that he was. Yeah. And again, I think to some degree back to what we were talking about, I could have handled this a little bit better. Like, I mean, I always look for opportunities to improve my approach, sure. but like, 
his hostility was at such a level, that hostility was at such a level that um, I think it was more of an indicator of a loyalty complex. Like, Aaron, we're supposed to be part leadership partners. You're exposing this in front of everybody. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. I thought we had each other's backs. And, um, and, and now you're a, you're a hostile party to me. Right. And so then it was like, I disagree with all of this. This is all wrong. And actually everyone else in the room was like, this stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, I, and I love that too, the, that they didn't say this stuff is all true. Yeah. They said this, this is interesting. And that's actually the other response yeah. I get a lot. This resonates. I'm not sure. Um, but this resonates or this feels like it's worth exploring. Yeah. Like that is and again, very the, common. To your point, the approach that I wanted to have, the, the, I, the, the conversation I wanted to have was like, here are all the things that I've observed that are correct and that we need to fix now. Like that was not my position. Right. Um, it was very much like, here's what I see. What do you guys and why? Why I see that. Yep. Why I feel that way. What do you guys think? And, and again, the, the goal is to get the people that are accountable, the people, the leaders that have sway over this stuff on the same page about where we're actually at. Because what was so interesting is it's not even about like, what's the work we're doing? Who are the leaders? What are the roles? Like there, there's also this, like, do we even know where we're at? Yeah. I mean, on this project at that time, the, the, the conventional wisdom from everybody to our stakeholders down to the leaders of the team was that we're definitely going to ship a fully functional product in 90 days. I forgot it was that fast. That they 90 were days. That. So oh I, jo- I joined, I joined the team in, I think March of that year. And in the, the conventional wisdom at the time th- for every leader involved in the project was that we were, we were going to ship something f- like soup to nuts, not, not the, like a beta product within 90 days days. So like basically by like June or whatever. But like, what's funny is nearly 100% of the people on the team knew that that was asinine. Yeah. And so there was this gigantic disjoint. It wasn't even like, what's the goal? Like we didn't even, we didn't even get that far. It's like, where are we actually at today? Yes. Like what's the, what's the actual state of the union? We, we didn't have alignment on that. And so I think that this is one of those things that I wish I could say that this is rare, but I, I more often than not, I run into this being an issue with teams. I mean, one of the hardest things that I eventually ended up having to do was sit down with the stakeholders, like VPs and stuff like that and tell them, Hey, I know you've been told this story for the last six months, but this story is abjectly impossible, right? Like it's, it's, it's not even close to what the reality is. And when I tell you what the reality is, you're not going to be happy. And that's exactly what happened. And we actually went really far down on the morale ladder before we finally came back up again. And that, so, so again, I think that back to, you know, how do you approach this as a leader? I think making sure that you and the other leaders and the other authority figures related to this project are on the same page about where things are actually at, that you're having an honest conversation about where things are actually at is super important. Yeah. Like there cannot be any fantastical stories being woven. That doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, we we have a, a tendency as leaders who have been in a space for a long time to, to eventually sort of believe whatever it is that the organization says we should believe. And that sounds like it's malicious. It's not. Um, It's this like, that needs to be done by this time. And we've heard that so many times, you know, that we're like, okay, we kind of buy into it. And, but I remember, I've had that, I remember having a conversation that was similar. And for me, it wasn't even that people were upset. I basically said like a project is going to take um, 10 months to complete. And everybody was thinking it was going to be way less. And the, the response wasn't like, ah, we're angry at you or like, why did you reveal this? It was actually just abject denial. It was like, nope, you're wrong. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. And we're actually going to be done way before then. And I was like, and I remember just going like, hey, because I, I kind of expected this. I sort of had some conversations about it pre, prior to that point. I just said, okay, I, I am happy to be wrong. Uh, and it's, if it takes way less time, great. I would, I would love for that to be the case. And I'm actually going to work to try to make that the case. Like I want us to be done sooner than this, as soon as we can. Yeah. However, 
this is what this is what the data is showing. And as I look and I try to understand what is the state of this project right now, you know, where's the the long tail and like all this different stuff. This ten month window is what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I was yeah I, I was off by like a month. That but that that conversation is one. It's it's hard. It's hard as a leader when you're like okay I think I have a state of the world. I think I've figured out. I've observed. You know, I've spent my 30 days or 60 days or however long it was, you know, I've, I've taken my, I've, I've written down my observations. I've looked for the things, you know, whatever those are. I mean, actually, I think we should get into this, a lot of those like next podcast. Um, I, but I've looked at like the state of the world. This isn't necessarily true. Let's talk about it. Let's understand as a group of leaders what we think is true, what isn't? Because if we can establish our current state, if we can actually agree to your point on where we are today, now we can also say, where do we want to be? And we can make a realistic plan of how we may get there. We can like start taking steps to get to where we want to be based on where we know we are. Yeah. I, I think, I think again, that frame, what's your North star, be curious, build trust and relationships, share your observations and then try to align on this is where we are today. Yeah. And, and I think aligning on where we are today is so important because if you want to enact any change, you have to know what the starting line is. Otherwise, you'll never be able to even assess your own progress, right? right. Like, for example, you could say, hey, these four leaders are struggling to be effective in their roles. And if everyone doesn't agree on that baseline, then like it's going to be really hard for you to do anything about that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even if even if you do something, it's like well, you're you, it's dubious what the results would be. You know, they may have a completely different view on it. So it's like I think that that uh, alignment again, and I think alignment ends up so much ends up coming back down to alignment. Yeah. But like if you really, I think if you have a very highly aligned leadership team on like what the state of the union is and what the problems are. It's a very massive rocket boost in actually putting forward meaningful change, because um, again, it it makes the race clear. Mm -hmm. So, I wanna I wanna kind of move towards like wrapping and like what are what are some of the takeaways we want people to get from this? And I have like one or two um, from maybe earlier on. One is when you first show up to a team uh, or organization of any size, do not get caught in the utilization trap. Do not get caught in the productivity trap of like, I need to immediately just start working and doing things and showing that I'm valuable. Mm -hmm. um, even before you arrive, begin by setting expectations that you're gonna need some amount of time to understand the space you're moving into before you make a bunch of changes. Yeah, um, and, and to your point, I think to understand that other people are going to try to incentivize you to do that. Yes. That's what that's what makes it so hard, I think, is, I mean, I think if we all, I think I, I can't imagine somebody being like, you know what, I don't want to take 30 days to understand the team. I'd love to just get to work and maybe 20% of what I do will actually be valuable because I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think we'd all love to have such a graceful entry. But the reality is, is we feel that pressure, whether we put it on ourselves yep. or other people put it on us. And I think so. I think back to what Ben was saying, I think one way to help with that is to sit down and, and form a, a contract, quote unquote, if you will, with your fellow leaders. Sit down and be like, hey, this is the way I see the world. This is what I think. This is the way I think I could be the most valuable. Does that work for you guys? And try to rationalize through that with them. Get aligned with them. Because if you get aligned with them, and they're like, yeah, 30 days, that seems reasonable. Let's do it. And we'd love to sit down with you and talk about what you see. Like you're going to feel so much more confident in yeah. what you're doing. And then the doors are going to be flip wide open for you. Right. So it's one thing to do this stuff. It's another to feel supported in doing it yes. and not constantly feel pressure. Like, you know, if I'm going to do my 30 day observation, but I didn't really get everybody aligned on it. And you're constantly feeling that friction where other people are like starting to question you already. And you're like, shit, I'm already losing political capital. And it's only three weeks. You don't want to be in that place. That yeah. sucks. When, and so when, like get it, alignment. People are going to push against it as well, because you're the newcomer to the space and they already think they understand what's wrong. I have been get, get handed so many teams where someone was like, here are the problems with these teams. I need you to go in and fix them. And I have found that I cannot take what they're saying at face value. And it's often because they're actually themselves abstracted from the team. They see 
very limited um, um, outputs or outcomes from the team. They don't really understand what's going on. And when you go in and you actually talk with the people, you like get this very different picture. Sometimes the problems that were identified are still problems, but the causes are completely different. And so, you know, the classic one for us is like, can we just come in and fix our process? And I'm like, I can totally do that. I can fix process. I'm good at that. However, first, let me build alignment yeah. around where, what the value is, what the meaning and purpose is. Like, let me get, let me get that aligned first. So that would be, that would be yeah. one thing I would say when you go into a team, do not fall into like, I'm just going to start working. The second one is closely related. And I would say it is when you first join a team, do not join and immediately start turning the team into something you're comfortable with or familiar with, like what you, the way you like to work. I know you're a leader. Um, and I know that you've probably worked in effective organizations in the past and you've led them and you feel good about that. Be very careful about assuming that what you did other places is going to work in this new context. It is different and you need to understand those differences first. So that would be two things I would caution you against. The right back frame to, back is to the curiosity. Trust, uh, yeah, and back to the trust thing that we were talking about. I think one of the main reasons why I, what you're saying resonates so much is because you're you're making statements, right? Like we talk about implicit versus explicit incentives from leadership all the time. Like you might know in your bones that there's like a right way for this team to operate, but if you just start pivoting the team forcefully to that and you don't understand what the experience is of the people on the ground or you don't hear them or they don't feel connected to you in some way, what that's going to sound a lot like, no matter how you frame it, in your mind is going to be, I know what's best. You're doing this wrong and I know a better way. And I frankly don't really care how comfortable you are with it. So here we go. Mm -hmm. And imagine what that feels like to be told that. And again, you may not be saying it with your words, but you're implying it with your actions. Mm -hmm. Like these people have been here, even if this team is utterly broken, let's say that's a team that's been around for a year and it's utterly broken more than likely these people have been busting their asses for a year, trying to figure out what's wrong, trying to make it better, maybe haven't been able to figure it out. So you come in, you, it's it's gonna be real hard for you to not appear holier than thou. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and, that, so, and that's gonna erode trust. So so the, the way you do this, the method is really, really important. Yeah, so choose curiosity over turning something into what you like or just getting working right away. Choose curiosity. Be proactively observational. Do a lot of listening, a lot of capturing of thoughts, and a lot of sharing what you're learning with people in the space. That that would be what I would say um, uh, is good good takeaways from from some of this. Aaron, what do you got? Yeah, and the final thing I would say is um, keep your own principles and your own North Star in mind as you're doing everything so that you can reorient yourself if you need to. Mm -hmm. Like you may run into situations where you're like, I may need to confront this leader. It's super early on, but this feels really toxic. Or I don't know who should be in the room when I present this. Like that the political situation is, is scary. It's like at the end of the day, all you've got is your principles and what your convictions are. And so keep those in mind to frame your actions and you may learn that you screw up some of this stuff and that's okay. But like, just keep that stuff in mind and don't lose your North star. Don't let external pressures force you into a decision that causes you to do your own principles a disservice. Cause at the end of the day, you're a leader and your principles and your North star is that's your, your, the squishy nougat core. That's your nucleus. Don't lose that. Mm -hmm. You know? And then finally, don't be prideful about what you observe. Mm -hmm. Don't don't yeah. be cynical about what you observe. Like you may actually end up, if you do this right, it would make sense that you start to piece together the most complete picture of the state of the union. Mm -hmm. Work to get everyone else aligned on that. Share that with them. Open that to their criticisms and their feedback. Don't don't exact that upon them. Mm -hmm. Um because no matter how right it is, it's gonna feel wrong to them. And, and if you can get your leadership team, like your immediate, the, the folks that are leading that group with you on the same page about what you're seeing, and they're like, yeah, 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 
this makes sense. Yeah, we're on board. Yeah, how do we fix this? And you get that kind of energy, you have really set yourself up for a highly successful tenure on that team. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So I think probably, Ben, I would like to come back to this and start talking about things we've actually seen, like problems we've yeah. actually seen. What are we looking for? And how, we've, and how have we worked through them uh, when it comes to this? Because I think that this is such a tricky area for folks. Like, I mean, I, I've struggled so much in my career trying to figure this out and like how to do this well. And it's scary. Every time I go into it, it's scary. It's like, oh my God, are they going to like me? Am I going to be good enough? And, you know, was I only successful on that last team because, you know, I knew everything and I knew how everything worked and now I don't know anything again and it's scary. So I'm sure a lot of folks are going through that all the time. And, um, and so we'll, we'll get into some case studies next time for part two of this. I think that'll be really fun. Um, so thanks everybody for, for swinging by again and listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, give us your feedback and uh, we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Valarin Perspective. Send us your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. Valarin, V-A-L-A-R-I-N, consulting.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valarin Inc. 